0: hi friends welcome to bar of the conference i'm your host derek scott the third this episode is just incredible there's no other way to describe it it's with alice williams Alice and I get the really cool honor of serving together as co-lay leaders of the Florida Conference. Now, if you know Alice, you know that she has an awesome resume. She's gifted, experienced, uh, loved, and appreciated inside and outside of the church. She's a member of the LGBTQ community. And her quiet and effective way of leading is its own masterclass. But y'all, in a sense, we are all Alice. We're all everyday people sitting in the pews of local congregations, offering ourselves to the church and finding our place in this great story of Jesus. Well, that's Alice. And so in this interview, you're going to hear her share her personal history with the UNC, her experience at General Conference 2016, and then she's going to talk about participating as a member of the commission on the way forward. I just love how Alice seems to be able to talk about what's happening in the church and then connect it to things happening outside of the church and then bring it back to discipleship and humility and servant leadership. I've got a feeling that as you listen to this interview, you're gonna love her as much as the Florida Conference does. And y'all, Florida loves Alice Williams. So you know what to do, grab that notebook. There's so many insights in this episode, get a choice beverage, and let's listen to this interview with Alice Williams. Enjoy. Hey, Alice, how you doing today?
1: Hey, Derek, I'm doing all right, how about you?
0: I'm doing great, and I just wanna say how much of a gift and a treat it is to spend some time with you today. We talk uh, multiple times every week via text and sometimes calls and you know, being co-lay leaders, but this particular opportunity to hear from you and to hear a little bit of your journey as a United Methodist, particularly in these last few years, um I think people listening are going to really love it but I I have been you know this I have been so <laughs> excited about this interview like so tell us a little bit about Alice Williams growing up in the United Methodist Church figuring out how to be a lay leader and any of the other things that it's just great to know about Alice
1: You know Derek it's such a funny thing um my dad was Baptist and mom was raised Methodist. Dad went to church, but it wasn't—it uh, wasn't a big part of of uh, his his life per se. But mom's family was very much so. So when they moved to Florida and were trying to get you know established and whatnot, uh, dad said, "Well, you know." The Baptist immerse and the the Methodist sprinkle. He said, I don't know, dunked or sprinkled. It doesn't much matter to me. (laughs) So mom said, well, then I want to go to the Methodist church. And that's how it got started. And we were very fortunate. The the neighborhood that we lived in, actually, this wasn't until I was probably 10 years old. uh, But the neighborhood that we lived in um, had a church that was uh, just... uh, getting started well, if you will, Pine Hills United Methodist Church, and it was in an area of West Orange County uh, that was growing, and it was a lot of young families, so it was, it was really easy for us to find our home there. Uh, the previous church was Pine Castle United Methodist, which has a long history as well, and I was pretty young, though, when we started going to that, at that church, and mom was involved in things like the thrift shop and taught Sunday school, and mom and dad both bowled in the, the bowling league that they had. So church has always had a big part of 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 our life, both socially as well as, as spiritually. So that was my connection to the church. And uh, at, at Pine Hills, uh, you know, that was a big part of even my uh, uh, junior high and high school. That's what we called them back then. Uh, junior high and high school experience was the the people that i hung out with a lot were the people that were i was an MYF with you know and and, uh, we did a lot of stuff together and i was in the choir and just different things in the church so i was i was i was pretty much engaged and it wasn't until after i got out of college i actually stepped away for a while Uh, but there was some reasoning for that Um, i uh, I didn't realize it until I was in my early 20s. I I guess I must have known to some degree, but uh, I found that my missing piece as far as having a a life partner was not necessarily in the direction that I thought it was going to go. I I fell in love with uh, a woman that I have been with now for 43 years, um, and we met uh, through some friends. Uh, Both of us worked at Disney. Uh, and, um, you know, it was, for me, it was pretty much as, as soon as we met, uh, we, we were old fashioned from that perspective. We dated for a bit, but uh, I knew that this was, this was what I had been looking for. And because of that, I you know, I and how churches tend to, tend to view uh, lesbian relationships, I, I was a little leery of, of getting involved in the church. And it wasn't until 1984 that uh, I switched jobs for a short period of time. I left Disney and uh, was trying to get some more experience in a marketing uh, role that uh, I I just realized that I missed the church. And I heard people talking uh, when I was at Disney about St. Luke's United Methodist. It was a young church at the time. And uh, that they had a very active young adult uh, group. And that there were a lot of young families, and that it was, you know, just a, a kind of a, a fun place to be and a lot of Disney people. So I thought, well, you know,'m I'm, I'm leaving Disney for a few years. I, I had hoped I would always go back. Uh, but um, you know, I want to keep those connections and whatnot. And I'll never forget it. I drove by St. Luke's on a Sunday night and saw cars there. and I thought, oh, Pine Hills Methodist used to have a Sunday night service. Maybe this is their Sunday night service. I'll just pop in and see how it is. well when i when I got there, it wasn't a Sunday night service. It was a Sunday night dinner. Uh, and I came to the door and uh, everybody was, you know, kind of standing in line to get food and whatnot. And there were two lovely ladies that were at the door. And uh, I said, hi. I said, I'm, I'm new. I'm kind of new in this area, which was true. Uh, but uh, I am just uh, uh, passing by and I, I saw the lights on and thought you all might be having a Sunday night service and was interested. And she said, I'll never get the ladies this Oh, we're we're so glad to see you. Uh, no, this is this is just a Sunday night dinner. But if you come back on Sunday, you know we would love to have you and and come to church service. And and I did. Um, and what was funny about that was um, there were people that I recognized when I worked at Disney that were there, and I very quickly got engaged with uh, some young folks that were in the choir and and whatnot. And so that kind of led my my way of being introduced into St. Luke's. Uh, ended up teaching Sunday school and working with the youth and, and that kind of thing as well. And what was funny about all of that, though, is that there came a time when I was actually talking about hospitality and teaching in a hospitality, how we at Disney do hospitality, but how we as a church do hospitality. And I reminded them of the very first time that I came <clears throat> and they were having a lovely potluck dinner and I was poor and really would have enjoyed having some of that potluck. And they meant well, but they missed an opportunity. And meaning that, you know, um, anytime someone comes to visit, find a way to make them feel welcome. You know, give me a plate, even though I didn't bring anything, you know, give me a plate and let me get a little bit of food and give me a little nourishment for the soul and the body. So anyway, so that was that was kind of my, my uh, the way I got to, to, uh, tied into St. Luke's. I've been at St. Luke's ever since 1986.
0: Wow. Oh, like, there's so much there. I could just, I can see you just popping in. Just, just I, popping did, in. I did. I, did you know, that was
1: I, 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 I had missed it. I had missed being in church. And Debbie and I had even talked about it. We were relatively new in our relationship at the time. And she had grown up in a a, a congregationalist type church in Peru. She was uh, born and in, in, raised in um, Peru, South America, Lima. Her parents uh, her father was Swiss and her mother was American, uh, and they were connected to the American community there. And that was a Congregationalist church. But she said, "Yeah, I've I've gone to the Methodist church in a few places that I've been to." But she said, "I really would like to find one where I think we could feel comfortable." And and for years we did. I mean, we were both engaged at St. Luke's, but uh, it was kind of don't ask, don't tell, right? Um, and and it was funny. Um, you know, we both did different kinds of things. I. I'll never forget when uh, Reverend Bill Barnes, who was the senior pastor at the time, uh, said to me one Sunday morning as I walked into church, he said, hey, Alice, uh, I'm I'm gonna blow your mind. You're not gonna be able to think about anything I say other than this today. I said, well, what are you talking about, Bill? He says, our leadership team has been making nominations for the leadership for next year. He said, we want you to be lay leader for the, the church. I said what he says yeah we want you to be the lay leader you know for the, the next two years for the church i'm like oh i don't know bill i don't think i'm ready for anything like that i don't think I'm... he said no 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 he says I, you really aren't going to get a chance to say no to this he says we we really want you to do this well that immediately threw me into a quandary because i hadn't had the conversation with bill about debbie or i it wasn't that i was trying to hide anything it's just my opinion was and i didn't know you that well or there wasn't a need there wasn't a need for me to talk about the fact that you know i was in a committed relationship with someone who happened to be the same sex and uh it wasn't much long after that that i asked him to go to lunch i said bill you're right i couldn't hear what you had to say that sunday and it's been on the back of my mind ever since i said "Uh, i want to talk he says i know what you're going to say i said you do he said yeah he says you're going to tell me that you and debbie are, are gay and i said yeah, I am. He says, and you're going to say you think that I need to know that because we've asked you to be lay leader. I said, yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking you need to know. And he says, no, we don't. It doesn't matter. He said, that's the point. Um, he said, you know, for a lot of years, I've kind of been, don't ask, go tell. He said, there was one Sunday morning that I just looked out across the congregation. I happened to see you, Debbie, sitting together and he said, it just kind of clicked for me. He said, um, I think I've known for a while. I said, well, we weren't trying to hide anything. He said, no, it wasn't about that. He said, but that shouldn't stop you or any of us from allowing God to work within you or anyone else uh, to be able to lift the gifts and graces that you've been given and to grow in those lift and gifts and graces in ways uh, in leadership or, or whatever, whatever role you're in. And so that kind of started my my time in being in leadership at St. Luke's, and it went from there. It's like the Forrest Gump kind of story. It went. I love there. this
0: story, Alice. Just so you know, I love this story. So keep going. Yeah.
1: Well, and I, and and, and I, I guess it's not about me. It's just about how God works. I my my approach to it is God has a great sense of humor, um, but but. Um, God wants to use us. I, I just—he wants to use all of us, in whatever ways that we'll make ourselves available. So, yeah, so, so, so I started out to did that for a bit, and then there were some really cool things that St. Luke's uh, got involved with, in, in helping to bridge out into the community and to reach. One of them being Shepherd's Hope, which was basically um, we we Pastor uh, Barnes had a a calling, for lack of a better term. That there were people who were in the community who were the working uninsured, um, you know if most people in bigger companies had insurance coverage provided for them health coverage. but a lot of people who were either independent or smaller companies did not. Uh, and so uh, he he had this calling, and I remember being there the night that about three hundred people showed up to say, yeah, let's this is this is a need in our community. How do we help people?" find the health care that they need. And we ended up starting a Shepherd's Hope, which has now served over almost 300,000 people in the Central Florida community and become a natu- national uh, model for, for volunteer health care. Uh, for people who are working on insurance. Well, so oddly enough about that, I became the vice president of that when we first started. Um, Then uh, from that got engaged in a, uh, became on a hospital board here in central Florida that was appointed by the governor because it fell under the healthcare district that we lived in. It it was all of these crazy things that I kept thinking, Lord, why are you opening these doors? What are you, you know, what are you doing? And you know, Lord, I am not qualified to do this stuff. You know, and it just seemed that every time something like that would happen, you know, the Lord would say, would you quit and just (laughs) just trust? Uh, And so it finally got to the point where I was like, you know, Lord, if you'll open the door, I I will try to be faithful to stepping in. And and that's that's kind of been where it's been. Uh, There's one other piece that I need to share, too, and that is the last holdout for me was money. I had, I had done fairly well at Disney. Um, Debbie had a really good career at Disney too and it wasn't that we weren't giving but you know we were relatively young and, and, and worked hard for it and you know I, I it just it was hard for me to make that connection all, all the other stuff you know the, the time, the talent, But it was the treasury that was really the kind of hardest part for me to to yield over. And I'll never forget one Sunday, um, there was a sermon on stewardship. And he brought $1,000 in in $100 bills, $100 bills. And he brought a kid up out of the congregation, totally unrehearsed. I mean, you could tell this was totally unrehearsed. And he said to the kid, "What, what do you do with this? And the kid said, well, he said, you know, I I would think that if I had that kind of money, you know, I would want to do some good. And I'm like, "You know, okay, good kid. Good, good, good. This is good. And Bill said, that's great. Yeah. How would you do good? And you talked about, you know, some of the things, you know, somebody that could use, you know, a bicycle or somebody that could, just different things. But then at the end, this kid, he just said, but I know what my mom and dad would say. And my mom and dad would say that I'm supposed to give some of this back to God to use in ways that I don't know. I thought, oh man, you just nailed it for me. And it was in that moment that Debbie and I both kind of looked at each other and we both just went, you know what, we can do more. And it totally flipped, Derek, I kid you not, it totally flipped how we looked at money. Um, We realized it really wasn't ours we're just the pass through right I mean that, mm-hmm. that we have a choice and we're, we've been given the opportunity and the stewards of, of what we've earned and it's it's up to us as to what we do And so that that kind of changed everything for us that, That's just a little aside. that has nothing to do with what you wanted to hear about thats just yeah.
0: So let me that's say it, let me say Alice, one thing that is just beautiful about what you just um, gave us. Alice I love everything you just told us because bar of the conference is a is a conversation about things that are happening on the floor of general conference the people the issues all of that but the people and we are not like professional delegates like we don't we are real followers of Jesus who pop into what looks like a night service and randomly gets invited into leadership because people see things in us that we weren't so sure were there. And even we are people who are still on our journey and are sitting in a church service and the Holy Spirit is convicting us to continue to move towards perfection. Like the thing, one of the things I love about you, Alice, is that you bring your true self to our work. And I, I I, I mean, it's a, I know that's like, what else can a person do? There's a, there's, there, not everybody does that. Not everybody brings their true self to the work. And I, I remember we were just a moment ago, just getting into this conversation and you're like, you're calling this episode, a coal miner's daughter goes to general conference. <laughs> and I'm like, that's probably going to be, I'm thinking to myself, that's probably going to be the title of this episode because it's real people sitting on the floor sitting at these tables sitting with legislation trying to be faithful with the witness and the ministry of the united methodist church um and particularly as laity we're we're trying to play a role we're not clergy we're not necessarily paid to serve the church right but we're just trying to be faithful with the opportunity we have as United Methodists to advance the mission of Jesus in the world, and you embody that for me so much, Alice. I just need to say that out loud. So, I love it.
1: I don't even know. I don't even know <laughs> what to say to that. But, but, I, but, but I, I, I will come back to the the whole thing about General Conference. That ended up being such a funny thing too, because mm-hmm. I literally. Um. So, so did the lay leader thing at St. Luke's ended up doing the lay leader thing at the district and, and doing that, I had been a member to annual conference. So I'd, I'd done a little bit of that and I, I found it fascinating how the, the workings of the church and how different it was from being in corporate America, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I'd heard people talk about all the things that were happening at a uh, general conference. And then in 2012, the general conference was in Tampa. So I volunteered to work it because I just wanted to see what that was about. And I thought to myself, you know, I, I think I'd kind of like to go to one of these uh, to understand what that experience is like, right? Mm-hmm. So, so all I ever wanted to do was just to get my name in the hat and see if, you know, if I could. If I would like to go to a general conference. Well, worked in twenty twelve, threw my name in the hat for twenty sixteen, and lo and behold, I get the opportunity to go, mm-hmm. having very little true understanding of what it meant to be a delegate going in. And also just wanting this to be like, you know, a one and done kind of thing. I, I understand now that there are people who have gone multiple years or are regulars, if you mm-hmm. will, to general conference. And thank God we have people like that, because there is, you know, you need kind of a mixture of people that are that that have some clue of what they're doing, because that's where the business of the church gets done. But then there, you need people that, that don't. I certainly was someone who didn't. So, you know, and 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 you were there too. I was um,
0: there and I remember sitting in the new delegates meeting yes. that everybody was sitting in and it had been scheduled and we're just sitting waiting for it to start and nobody seemed to come in and we're all kind of like, What's happening? Is there actually something? And you can tell me the answer to this question, but I recall a person jumping on the mic. Saying, I just went and talked to somebody. They're sending somebody right now. Do you remember who that was that did that, Alice? Who did that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It was me, if I remember right. It It totally was. People, we were all kind of, there was this room full of, these were all new delegates from all over my disney thing kicked in right i'm like because people were starting to get uncomfortable we were waiting like what's going on the professor you know like in school if you were in college and the professor didn't show in 15 minutes do you stay do you go kind of thing right so I, yeah. like, so I did i, I did i'm right on side i said y'all we're sitting in here what are we supposed to do and, they, and anyway yeah and then they did send somebody in and it was somewhat helpful but still you know here we are in portland and um the thing that was a little different for me um I ended up staying at a hotel that was away from, uh, ended up being away from, everybody because I wanted, <laughs> this is going to sound funny, but I love to cook. And so one of my my relaxation things, and everyone had told me about how stressful these 10 days are, and that you're going to need outlets and that kind of stuff. So I, I, I told Debbie, I said, I'm, I'm going to get a, like a, a residence in or someplace where it's got a kitchen and a, the bedrooms together. And so I did. And here's the cool thing that happened with that. This is the way God works for me. I mean, it's just, it's just so amazing, how uh, you know, I, I, it comes out of nowhere that, that that He will create a blessing or whatever. I ended up staying at the same place that all of the interpreters and many of the delegates from Africa, some of them ended up staying. And and what ended up happening with that is, so I cooked my little. Hello, fresh meal that I had delivered there or whatever. And then I would go outside in the courtyard, as would they. It became this kind of a routine thing. And we would sit and share our meals together. And I got mm. to meet people from all over the world. Had I, I don't know that that would have happened. Maybe it would have, but I don't know that that would have happened in that same way uh, had I stayed in, in one of the closer in hotels and been more with, with our delegation. aware, It just was kind of a, it was just this weird added blessing so so we're at 2016 and and all this stuff is going on and i in a little bit of little bit of background there even our our delegation at that time was kind of split if, if you you'll remember this but and we had some leaders in our delegation who were very well known uh in the denomination had voice uh and influence um and uh it was it, it was kind of this fascinating thing to watch the 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 politics I guess you'd call it that the politics of all of this and, and the networking and all of that and it did remind me some of corporate world but uh, to see it play out in the, the church world and and there was grace there was a lot of grace but there was there were moments that that I just they were so eye opening to me um, there was a moment when some of the uh, the more progressive the R M N uh, folks Held a uh, uh, kind of a, um, my words, a protest, if you will. And uh, they they were they were, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but they were laying on the floor and they had, they were hogtied and they were showing about how bound they felt. Well, you know that's that's the first time that I had seen anything like that, and it it broke me, it broke my heart that that was those were those were my LBGT, many of them my LGBTQ. Ia brothers and sisters that were that were speaking out against the church that I had loved and grew up in, who who were bound. So I I, I got it I got that, and then there was another really beautiful beautiful moment when we were in conference and uh, it must have been known because I remember the bishop that was presiding uh, as soon as it started said you know this is this is a moment and there were some. Uh, folks from the lbgtqia community that came through and they sang this song about we are here we are loved and and it was one of the most beautiful moments and i thought to myself this this is where we can make change and this is where the church is speaking and there this is where we we are um the, the holy spirit is moving and god is is trying to talk among us right So there was all of that that was going on and of course then what happened at the end of that 2016 is that we were just at this impasse that we just could not and um it it was one of those moments where you, you just were like what do we do and someone stood up and said bishops We need you to lead us in this moment now a lot of what my work i I didn't get a chance to share that with you but my personal work um was spent in human resources at at, with the disney company which afforded amazing opportunities to work in some really uh uh, amazing ways big ways even with uh, uh executives at Disney that were doing, we, we were opening parks in different countries and we were, I mean, big projects, big things, you know, so, I, I, and, and union negotiations and that. And so I, and so I, I, I knew uh, a little bit from the work that I had done about what it is to be at an impasse and, and, you know, that kind of thing. And I really felt it in that moment that this, this was a, we were a organization that was truly struggling with what do we do next? And so, we looked to our leadership which were the bishops and you could see on the bishops faces okay yeah we're we're the leaders but honestly we're not sure what to do either and so you know there was that moment of, of and so they came back the next day and said okay we're we're going to create this thing we're going we're going to take some time we're going to put together Typical Methodist, because we do so much by committee. We're going to basically right, put together right. a committee. Yeah, that's going to kind of kind of take a look at this, right? That's oh, kind of cool. Okay, so so we left, and and I didn't think anything more about that. Didn't really didn't give mm. any, any other thought to it. <laughs> that that meeting in Portland. That meeting in Portland. It 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 hit a lot of people, right? Because yeah. it had been the culmination, and and I, I want to go back to something. So help me remember to pick up. I yeah, come back to, yeah, to what happened you. after Portland but I but I want to I want to go back to something that people need to understand because I lived through this I wasn't involved in it but I I was young enough and 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 heard enough about it that I lived through what took place when the church became the UMC in 1968 so there was that merger and 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 then even more uh, that I didn't know at the time was going to impact me because I was just a junior in high school or even maybe even a freshman in high school in 1972 but what was going to happen with the language and and how that would impact me later on the language that was entered into in the book discipline uh, around uh, homosexuality so back in 1968 you got to give context to where where we were as a, as a nation in the world there, there was the vietnam war was going on it was the racial unrest. If, if we think there's racial unrest today, and there is, mm-hmm. but boy, the racial unrest that was happening back then was, um, in my words, it was horrific. We were right on the heels of, mm-hmm. of JFK had been shot, Martin Luther King had been shot, Robert Kennedy had been there was there was a lot that was happening in that respect. So there was a lot of unrest. And the church was struggling to find its way to be relevant in all of this, and the church was also trying to figure out its role uh, and its culpability to a lot of it. For the LBGTQ community, there was a lot of stuff that was going on then too, because not only did you have the racism issues, but you also had you also had people like Madeline O'Hara, who was coming forth and saying, you know. Uh, we need to separate church and state even further than what it is. And let's take because when I I grew up that our our school every morning we said the Pledge of Allegiance and we had a moment of prayer or silence, right? We had voices like Madeline O'Hara who said, take that out of the school completely, right? That doesn't belong there. And so we did, right? That happened. So so the church was really struggling. And then the issue of homosexuality, you had Harvey Milk. Uh, and what happened with with him being assassinated? You had this was just a little bit before, but the Stonewall uh, riots that came a little bit later on. But but that movement of of um, you know where 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 do we fit if we're uh, gay or lesbian at that time? Primarily gay or lesbian, bisexual, transgender was even more out there, right? in, in, in those moments. Yeah. Um, and 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 where does all this fit? And where do we fit into society? And we're trying to find our voice. And so there was there was all of that. And then you had people like Anita Bryant in Florida, who was a former Miss America, who was singing "Come to the Florida Sunshine Tree" for the citrus industry, and you know having a, a voice that way. But who was also very very anti gay, very very much so. And you had people in South Florida, in particular, that were trying to lead. The gay rights, and so I kind of I grew up in all of this that was happening. Right, fast forward, I go to work for Disney. It's in the it's in the seventies and eighties that I'm starting to build my career there. Well, you know, I, I got to tell you that some of the most creative minds that Disney had were people who were members of the LGBTQ community, right? And so this was a a company who was based on uh, promoting the family values, but was also struggling with its own understanding and acceptance and identity uh, of, where, you know, what do we do? And and then the AIDS epidemic comes along. And so at work, we we started losing some of these creative, amazing people to this weird, unknown virus thing that we couldn't figure out or know except that it was hitting the, the, the gay male population primarily. And we started to, to see the divide that that caused in churches and whatnot because they, we didn't know how to respond, right? And I, I was at St. Luke's where there were a lot of people who were in this, uh, the entertainment industry, and we were feeling it from a personal loss uh, as well. And so, you know, the, part of my bringing uh, at St. Luke's and stuff, we started the Serenades concerts where we were, did beautiful, amazing uh, entertainment-based concerts that would raise money for the AIDS community. And, and even the rift that that caused within our own congregation, it was an act of mercy. It was a statement of justice, but people were afraid because at that time, the AIDS epidemic, you, you know, it was a very fearful thing. We were talking about should everybody in the U.S. be tested, uh, blood tested? You know, I mean, there were there was almost legislation for that. I mean, there was there was all of this stuff that on, and the church really found itself in a very hard place in trying to answer uh, the the calling to be in ministry and yet still be able to hold the values that that they had. You know, so. So there was all of that leading into now we get to Portland. After Portland, we don't know where we're at.
0: And, and before we keep going, this is all so good and helpful, Alice, but I just, I want to locate it even a little bit more that, sure again, people are ro- rolling into general conferences, delegates, and even observers, not simply as method nerds who are only thinking about legislation, but we're rolling into general conference with an awareness of what's happening in our own communities and the impact or lack of impact that the United Methodist Church is having. And a desire, I think, at at least maybe not everybody sees it this way, but how do we link the polity to what's really happening on the ground.
1: So when I went to Portland, uh, when I got there, there was a package from St. Luke's that was at the front desk for me. And when I opened it, it was cards and letters from Sunday school classes, from, various people, kids had drawn little hearts um, all saying that they were praying and, and 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 hoping for us and my church knew I was out you know my church knew uh, and that they were there were even some that said they were playing, praying the blood of Jesus' protection over me <laughs> um you're right we we walked into this many of us especially me, not not fully understanding, how how ingrained let me put it that way how ingrained many in our denomination were about this specific issue and how important it was for them to hold on to their position whatever it was but their position now i came from a church that was much more um open much more my some would say that use the term progressive but we weren't a, St. Luke's is not a progressive church even to this day. We'd lean maybe a little more inclusive, but we're not, you know, I have very dear friends at St. Luke's who, and it's very hard when you isolate uh, issues too, right? Because people may be uh, more conservative on one issue and yet much more liberal on another kind of thing. So we were, we're, we're a vast church. And I think it's very, very much representative of kind of what I walked into it at, at, at the, the general conference. But no, we had, we weren't, we were not the nerds in the polity. And it was, it was even interesting to see how, I, I don't even know that a lot of the bishops <laughs> were necessarily prepared for that too. Right. I can remember, I can remember one very heartbreaking moment when, uh, you know, a bishop was accused of sending secret, not, not secret messages because of the way they were tapping their pen on the, yeah. you know, on the the desk, and 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 thinking to myself, is this? I mean, are we? Is this really what we're about? And and is the suspicion and the distrust so great that that people are seeing it? So there's there's and then I also learned while I'm there uh, about how different factions or or, or groups um, you know, they, they try to cultivate people that will follow their lead or follow, Mm uh, and, and, you know, it's, uh, you know, providing, providing, uh, cell phones for people when they come here so they can, you know, or providing lunches or dinners for folks, you know, so they're not having to pay money out of the per diem that they, and, and it just, it blew my mind. I just never, I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, being at play in the church, a- and it was wonderful because it also helped me to understand, uh, you know, the different central conferences and just how how uh, difficult it is because they're in a different place than than what we are with this. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I served, I, I served in uh, 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 the Episcopacy side of of some of the legislation, and I ended up leading uh, a group. Uh, around some of the uh, legislation that had to do with with his uh, fate would have it would have to do with LGBTQ inclusion and there were 16 of us in my subcommittee and we had oh it was some crazy like 250 pieces of legislation to get through and so uh there was a lot of debate about whether we would be able to do it well by golly we did uh we, we broke it up into and and, and and dealt with it and, and what I called a compartmentalized, we 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 managed to. Now again, part of that was because of some of the work that I had done at Disney that I was able to bring that in. It had nothing to do with me. It was just I I okay, seen this done before. We can do this kind of thing. It mm-hmm. made it happen. But I remember very very much some of the conversation. I walked into that last day uh, of our our um, subcommittee meeting, and and all this legislation, and we'd saved the hardest for last, and it was literally around the issue of how do we as a church think about LGBTQ clergy uh, and what are the issues that we, how do we deal with that if, if there are LGBTQ clergy and, uh, or LGBTQ clergy that want to be ordained. And for whatever reason, before I left Orlando to go there, I had stopped at a Walgreens and picked up some last minute stuff and I saw these dove candies, little pieces of dove candies, and I, I bought a bag of them. And the cool thing about Dove candies is when you go inside or you open it up, there's a saying before you eat it. And the night before, you know, I, was, I was saying, God, I, I don't know where this is gonna go or what you wanna do with this, but give, give me the wisdom to lead the group in a way that would be be good. And I um, don't you know, it just kind of came to me, take, take those candies in, so I did. And when we got together, the 16 of us, we'd done some really good work the day before. We're now ready to do this hard work. I just threw those candies out. I said, y'all pick one up and, and everybody grabbed one. And I said, open it up and take a look at it. And, and in each one of them, there's a saying or whatever. I said, that's that's kind of like what we are right now. Every one of us has a story about what brought us here. And so for the, fir- the first 30 minutes of that day of our work, I said, we're, we're just gonna share our stories about this, about what we're feeling right now. And we went around and the 16 of us shared and there was one woman who was a DS. Uh, her central conference was in, was in Africa. She was from the Congo. She said, I can't even say this word because where I'm from, this, the, the, even saying the word homosexual is, is, a, is not just a sin. It's it's like against the law. Uh, you know, people, people can be imprisoned and, and that kind. And when you begin to be, understand the context that everyone came from, it became readily clear to us that we are not all of like-one mind. We may call ourselves one denomination, but there's no way that all one rule fits. And at least that was my takeaway, is there's no way that all one rule can fit. So, okay, so that ends being it. it,
0: And and let's let's take a quick break there. Oh, so good. So Alice, you were invited to be on the commission on the way forward. As so, th- I,
1: so as I left general conferences, like I was telling you, it mm-hmm. was clear to me that one 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 size was not gonna fit all for, for this if we really were gonna try to find a way to, to bring unity to the denomination. So we get back and yeah, they talked about this 32, or they, they were wanting to put a commission together. And and my my bishop, um had uh, had come to St. Luke's and made a statement, if you will, about inclusion. It was kind of the first time that he had ever had the opportunity to kind of share that. Uh, it was Bishop Ken Carter, and uh, you know, in his own journey with this, and and you know, uh, where his his thinking was. And at the end, uh, he I don't know he said something about you know you you know that they're looking for people to to be on the. Visit. I said Ken if i do this you need to understand i am i am not the poster child of lbgtq i've you know i've been in a few pride parades in my life maybe one or two but I, 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 I that's not who i am he said i don't think that's that's necessary so oh, anyway so i wrote i wrote a little thing off it goes and you know i don't hear anything for a bit and then i get this letter and it's a letter from a bishop, who I don't know, uh, that says, uh, we have, you know, we've we have been tasked with putting together this 32 person commission, and we, would, we would, be, um, would like to know if you would, you would be willing to do it. Uh, it'll probably run for a year to two years. Uh, we are putting together the outline for it, but would you be willing to do that? And I thought, well, you know, Lord, I said, if you open the door, I'll stick my head through if you really think I can do something with this. But again, even in that letter that I, or the thing that I wrote, I said, I am not the poster child for for LBGTQ. That that is not who I am. You need to find other voices. That would not be why I would be there. I have been in negotiations with unions. I've done that kind of stuff. I've grown up through the church, but I am not, I'm not the, the, so ends up, that I am one of three people on this 32 member uh, commission uh, that's going to spend the next 18 months uh, working on uh, trying to figure out what a way forward would look like. The other two folks, one was uh, Reverend Matt Berryman who was the director for uh, RMN, Reconciled Ministries Network. And the other was a wonderful pastor from out in Cal, Nevada, Brian Atkins um both of these gentlemen you know i i i just absolutely loved and am so grateful for now here's what i got to tell you there are a lot of other people who could have represented LGBTQism better better than me i know that i know that um and uh i i think though that there was a role that i ended up playing and it was my words being able to be a moderate voice in this um i didn't see it i didn't i didn't ask for it i didn't understand it but it became more apparent to me because there were moments when we would be in in debate or whatever and 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 i do believe that when things like this happen all of us have my words roles that god wants us to play right i mean i i I, I have to believe that, I have to trust that. Um, in, in, in the world that I worked in, in, in human resources, um, at Disney, we, we believed a lot in a thing called appreciative inquiry, where you, you build on the strengths of what you have and, and every person that's in the room is there because they have something to give. And, and so, so I kind of came into this, this that even though I may not understand it, there would be something. Well, we would be in these moments uh, and for whatever reason, I, I, I understood the traditional perspective well, and, and, it, and in some ways had grown up in that. And so I was able to to balance that with being an openly LGBTQ person. So um, there were moments that, that I, I, I I could see why I was doing, and there were a lot of moments that I was like, Lord, I don't know. I don't know why you got me here. But all of the training that I had been involved in with Disney and, and all of the it all did come to play, the HR background that I had, all of that came in to to play at some point or the other. As it worked out, I um, I ended up uh, leaning more towards the notion of the One Church Plan, so I actually got to help craft that, got to, to help write some of that, that plan. And uh, I, I am grateful for that experience because Uh, I I still believe that there's a lot about that 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 is viable for where we are as a church because the one church plan enabled the the choice for people to have choice. What it would do would be to basically remove the language, the harmful language, we call it, out of the, the book of discipline. But would allow for every pastor, or clergy member to be able to live into their consciences to where they felt God was calling them. And and let me let me say that, and I, I stated this with the commission, and I've stated it in numerous places. I absolutely believe that God calls each of us in unique ways, uh, and that that I believe there is room at the table. For, um, and you can use that metaphorically to say the the communion table as well as uh the the table of of, of where we come together is is that uh, the united methodist church that 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 there's room at the table for all of us with with those voices and that we should honor that. So I I a lot of people would say how do you do this but I don't have a problem with a clergy member who feels that they are called to a more literal translation of the bible uh and and adhere to that i i I don't have where where i have a problem is where that prevents someone else who god has spoken to or who god has created just as equally as a heterosexual person uh, from being able to live into their calling or being able to live into their ability to experience growth we call it sanctification in the church you know uh, because of of their their sexuality whether they're whether they're gay whether they're bisexual whether they're lesbian whether they're transgender or whatever that's where i that's where i have a problem is when when the church says you can't do that yeah. so 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 the one church plan for me was was where i thought we would go and so when we went into 2019 and the- well, before we go oh, to
0: 2019, okay. let's 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 because okay. uh, okay. I, I, I want you to take us into to the degree that you can into the room and what was it like to be in the room? This 32 member commission, folks ha- are on different in different places yeah. theologically yeah. in general, not just around issues around LGBTQ uh, inclusion, but in general, the diversity of theological commitments in the United Methodist Church is represented in this room to a degree, the age difference to a degree, the the geographic diversity is to a degree represented in this room. So what was it like to be in the room, Alice? Help us to get there to the degree that you can share
1: so coming in i had i came in with two two kinds of mindsets one is the mindset of the role of of being a member of the commission on the way forward and the role that i was supposed to play in in that but then the other i couldn't turn off my professional side and that was i facilitated a lot of work sessions and that kind of stuff so i was thinking to myself how is this going to work and i I, Rendell out of um the texas methodist foundation was the the facilitator did a brilliant job along with the three bishops that were uh, co-leading this work and uh the first meeting we did nothing but just get to know one another so it was it was uh very disarming in that respect you know we just we heard where everybody was from uh they were able to share what they wanted to share uh, so we we built a lot of relationship that was that was the first the first meeting it was a little tense at first because you knew that people were coming in some you know i've got my stance and this is you know i shall not be moved kind of thing there were others that came in just I don't. I don't know. I'm not sure why I'm here exactly, but I'm here, and I'm happy to be here. There were cultural issues. Uh, the people from the Philippines, the, the the members that came from Africa, some of them it took three to four days to get to when, where we were meeting, to what we were doing. So they were already, you know, just kind of exhausted, if you will. Um, so yeah, we we were a a a group of people that were. I would say the representation really wasn't that bad. I would have wished maybe there were more LGBTQ voices. There were only three out of the 32. But we had a lot of allies, a lot of folks that either had family members who were gay or lesbian or transgendered. Uh, we had folks that were um, very traditionalist that had been brought up in the church. They were They were younger, they were older. Uh, we did not have any young uh, uh, youth there. And I, I think that's probably, I think that was a cautionary thing. I think there was some protectivism uh, to that because they were fearful of how this could go. So what was it like to be in the room? There was an agenda, there was prayer every day, we had a devotional, all of that. There was agenda that we followed. Um, there were there were moments that were hilariously really funny. Um, there, I, I'll share one with you because it will live with me always. Um, we did the devotionals, and this particular day, Galatians 5, happened to be the, the part of the devotion. And they handed out, just at random, uh, went around and handed, like, I don't know, five people to read scripture. And it ended up that I was asked to read. It was the it was the part of the scripture where Paul and his frustration, basically, and, the, and then the translation that I had, I believe it was the Amplified Version that they gave me. I would just assume that basically you were, uh, you know, it was all cut off (laughs) and and that that rather than you worry about circumcision, I just, I would just rather that you were basically all cut off and and made eunuchs or whatever. And I thought, oh, this is really good. Have the lesbian woman read about emasculating men. (laughs) And the room, Fell apart. I mean, it was just. It was. Wow. And it was There was no intent to it, but it was just funny. So there were those moments. There were <laughs> tense moments. There were moments that I was absolutely shattered. I and there were some. Um, there were some moments that I'll just, just share this. There was one moment where it hit me so hard about what we were doing. Uh, two actually. One was we were in a uh, subcommittee meeting at the, the, uh, the Reynolds uh, uh, building in Charlotte, and we were sitting outside having lunch. And the way the lunch was set up, there were tables of four people. And I was sitting at a table with a bishop across from me and two diametrically opposed individuals uh, on the other side. And one person looked at the other and said, very just out of the blue looked said you know i could be in a church with you i could be in a church with you and the other person said well you know i, I appreciate that i'm not so sure that I, could, I i could be i think i think your net needs to be a little wider in order for me to do that but what wasn't said but was very clear was that they couldn't be in a church with me that, that i would never be a part of that their their belief was so strong and i i sat there for a moment and the bishop across from me who i didn't know that well i could see the color drain from from his face because he didn't know what to do in that moment and it was probably uh, we, we'd gone back inside maybe 30 minutes later he came up to me and he goes how do you do it and i said what are you talking about he said you realize what was said out there. I said, yeah, I do. He said, how do you, how do you reconcile the fact that, you know, he was basically excluding you. And I just looked at him and I said, what do you think has been happening for the last, since for years, this is not Mm. new. Now my, my experience is probably very different because I've been very privileged and I feel very supported in a lot of ways, but, Make no mistake, if you are LBGTQ in the church, any church, you are going to experience being disenfranchised, being marginalized. I said, my, my um, abrasions, they may not be huge, but there have been years of micro abrasions. Mm. Dinners for eight that I wasn't made members of, or Debbie and I weren't invited to. No, just those kinds of things, those yeah. kinds of moments. Wow. And so, so there was that. And, and I want to share one more, Derek, because it's the kind of it, it too will live with me. It was in 2017. We were in Washington D.C. and we were meeting at the um, the board of um, uh, Susan Harvey Crowe, the board of Church board of and Society, Society, Church and yeah. Society, yeah. There, yeah. which is really. Really cool location. Yes, it Let is. It yeah. Because it is one of the few church based, it's right on the hill. I mean, it is mm-hmm. on the hill. It is right next door to the Supreme Court. Every day I would walk in, and uh, as I was walking into the building, I would look over at the Supreme Court, and there, you know, what it says, it says justice for all. Right? And so that was my mantra, right? Justice for all. So we're sitting in and we're talking about. How you know? How can we find a way? You know that we can. We find a way. Can is it possible? Yada yada yada. And my phone goes off because I get news alerts, and it's forty gay men have been rounded up in Chechnya, uh, and there is a possibility that some of them will be killed. You can go back and do the if you query forty gay men uh, arrested in Chechnya. And then you go on to read the article, and in it, the Chechenian government says such a thing could never happen because we don't have gay people. Is the is the gist of it. And I sat there, I had tears in my eyes, and I, I I said, you all, this you need to know that this is this is what's going on in the world right now. And I, I happened to go outside and I saw Susan Harvey Crow, who's the secretary. She happened to be out there just saying hi to us. Was it a break? And I said to her, I said, did you see this? What's happening? She said, yeah. She said, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? I said, what are we doing? She said, Alice, that's what makes it even harder. We can't. Now, there may be Methodist influence that can go underground, but if we try to go in and do anything overt, that puts them in even more danger. Than, than what they would have been, she said. This is the position that the church is in globally: is that we have to understand the context. So, so I was so it, it was it burned in me. Both of those things kind of burned in me. I I know that there's got to be a way, but we've got to be able to understand. Our church is in very different contexts in very different places. So again, I come back to that's what led me to really feel strongly, far more so than the connectional um, uh, plan or even the simple plan. That the, the 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 one church plan was probably the best hope that we had. So now, if I can just very quickly go to the Let's special go. session. Let's go there. There had been a lot of work that, that we had done as a commission around this, and there had been a lot of work that I think outside of the commission was done to say, there were, there were bishops who were very conservative that said, you know what, this, this does make sense. So I, I went in to the special session in St. Louis 2019, I won't say feeling confident, but feeling that there was there was possibility there was real possibility that the one church plan would be passed. And and the first day that we were there was nothing but prayer. If you remember that first day, we were in prayer for the work that was going to be done. The second day was when uh, things started to get interesting. In that, in that second day was when we put the order of legislation together. And if you'll remember that, you know, we rank ordered what we would we would want to deal with is, is, is a body.
0: Yeah. I remember this.
1: And the traditional plan ended up being like, I think it was third, maybe it was, Hmm. it wasn't the first thing, but it was the third, because there were some things that we needed to do with West path and some other stuff that ranked first. And you can go back and look, I, I don't want to misrepresent it. But what happened was the one church plan fell below the traditional plan in the legislative order well when that happened you don't we didn't need if, if the one if the traditional plan was the one that was legislatively ranked higher you would not rank another plan to vote on you would say okay that's the bu-. so what that meant was all oh, of everything that we had done and all of this kind of went out the window with with that rank order of legislation and i just i i remember i remember you you know looking over at you and, and other people at the table and just thinking to myself oh god oh god how, hmm. how what how could this moment how, how could it have happened like this and thinking all oh, that work that we've done i, I traveled you know there were nine different places that we went to i went to berlin i mean we went to all of these things how how could it be that this this would be the way this would end Hmm. it didn't even get really what we felt was the light of day so there was a lot of work that went into place after that and i think you were probably involved in it even some perhaps in some ways more than i but there was a lot of of um trying to bring back the one church plan, if you will, you know, trying to find mm-hmm. ways to legislatively mm-hmm. bring it back to life. And we did. We, there were, we had the opportunity to bring it back. And it got voted down by a simple majority. And I want to say it was like, I don't know, 53 to 48, something along those lines. It was, it was a really very
0: hard. slim majority, but still
1: you it could was, feel was,
0: the emotions in the room.
1: And it, it, it was really, really hard And at that point, a minister got up and said, folks, if the traditional plan continues, I'm not going to say everything that he said, but it was paraphrased to say, this will be like a virus and it will, it will split our church. It will split the dome. And that guy just happened to be Reverend Tom Berlin. Yeah, yeah. Who now happens to be our bishop.
0: Happens to be our, our bishop, Tom Berlin. Yes.
1: And how, how. Funny how things would 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 come around. Um, yeah. You you asked about being in the room. The other thing was that was difficult was we wrestled with the terminology, you know? Um, and I, I'm gonna give it credit where credit's due. Tom Berlin kind of helped us think through with some sugar packets. And it's where we kind of got the notion of uh, progressive, centrist, uh, traditionalist.
0: Well, and also the there was actually, compatibilist language. It the was, compatibilist language yeah, that was in yeah. your compatibilist right. Non-compatibilist so compatibilist, non-compatibilist that we used, yeah. yeah yeah
1: right and so all of that kind of helped us to give some nobody liked being put in a box none of us did really but it gave us it gave us some language to be able to think about and to to move with so that compatible language um and and what that looked like helped us out there was another god moment personal for me we were in berlin um my father passed away when i was 18 Uh, i and i was I was my daddy's little girl. There's just you know, he loved my sister dearly, but, but I was daddy's little girl. There's no doubt about it. And I was the baby of the family. And um, dad had been in World War II and in Korea. He was in the Air Force as a bomber pilot, uh, and so had flown many missions. He was stationed in England and stuff. And there was there was something about that that I I don't know. Uh, I always, he was an electrical engineer. I, I related to that, I was geeky. I, I was a geek, geeky kid and I related to all of that. And um, after he passed away, his co-pilot for, for most of the missions that he was ever flew, uh, heard about dad's passing and ended up reaching out to mom. And basically I have a complete listing. It was like, it was his, this co-pilot's way of dealing with some of the trauma that he had been through he put together all of the missions and everything that my dad did. So off we go to Berlin. We're at a Methodist church in Berlin. It's a Sunday. Uh, we've we've had our we've been to church there, and they invited us for lunch afterwards. And I'm sitting at this table with two very lovely older ladies, both of whom are in their 90s, and both of whom were children during World War II and both of whom lost their homes because of the bombing raids that my father flew we narrowed down the time i mean i i had I, you know, and i sat at this table with them and we just kind of i said well i said my father was changed by this he was doing his duty but and it's true he he uh, my father was a very genteel man but he 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 couldn't talk about the war much and i'm sure a lot of what he did was terribly bothersome to him but now i'm sitting across from two who were children when it happened Mm. um and rebuilt and you know we had this beautiful beautiful afternoon together Mm. where we 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 managed to say you know what That was a bad part of our history together, but isn't it wonderful how God has brought us to this place? And isn't it wonderful how we have managed to come this far? And isn't it wonderful how God has rebuilt and can't that happen in our church now? I walked away (sighs) with such hope that I just I I, yeah, I mean I you know, it brought me to my gosh. Um so yeah, there was that moment and that didn't happen to anybody else. That happened to me. There was one other thing I want to say about Berlin. yeah, uh, a lot of it was it was during the time when um, the Reformation, Martin Luther, it was the five hundredth anniversary of Martin Luther. and
0: mm.
1: when he tacked the the thesis up on the, the ninety five thesis, uh, yeah, the ninety five yeah. thesis, right? so there was a whole group of the the, the commission they were going to go off to go to the church which is outside of berlin and, and go to the and i don't know for whatever reason I, I i i mean i wanted to but i didn't want to and i i just needed some time I, I one of the ways i re-energize as much as i am an extrovert i need some introverted time so i needed that and i wanted to buy a couple of presents to take back home to my family you know that kind of stuff so i go downtown to berlin and I wanted to see the Holocaust stuff that was there. Well, at the same time, what I didn't realize is the museum that was right there was hosting all about Martin Luther. So I went in and I actually saw some of the writings of Martin Luther. So where they might have gone to the church, I actually saw some of the stuff. You know, I was this whole wonderful thing. So I spent yeah. a couple of hours there, did that. That was really, really cool. And then I went over to the Holocaust uh the, the, what they've done is they've taken it, kind of like our Vietnam wall sort of kind of, but I mean, it tells the story of the Holocaust. And I got to one place and it it hit me. I had forgotten this part of history. Not only did the the Nazis uh, imprison uh, the 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 Jews, but there were 100,000 gays that were given pink triangles.
0: Yeah, They yeah. were
1: imprisoned as well. And many of them died. Mm. And I've, whether they were Jew, whether they were Christian, whether, you know, whatever. And I, I thought to myself, you know, this is part of the story that doesn't get told enough. Um, right. This has been issues that we have been facing for years. And, and it just humbled me. It just, and and so, you know, I walked away from that thinking, God, I may not have been the best voice, but boy. I'm so grateful for this opportunity to have at least tried. And that's, that's what I would say to you, Derek. For me, that's what it was like is, I don't know that I made a difference, but at least, at least I tried. And I was given that chance to try.
0: Alice, this is so, this is as much holy for me as it is informative um, and inspiring and I've got you. I, I've, we're already over time, so I just want to ask you just a couple more questions quickly. Um, struggling to like because my heart is just like all over the place right now. Um, yeah, so Derek, much. I don't happened. know
1: that I. I don't know that I did this well. I it, it hmm. haunts me. Could I have done better? But well, what a what a blessing to have at least had the chance to try. So anyway, all right. What do you want now? What do you want <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh.
0: Okay. Um the story you just told a bit ago where you're sitting with these two women who were victims true victims um of 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 World War 2. and yet th- what was in that story was this this sense that something um, new was able to emerge out of all of all of that right and and so much of the story not not just of lgbtq inclusion in the umc but of the the of affirmation of the dignity of people of color within our denomination that Elevation and amplification of women in leadership um, and in pastoral spaces. There's so many ills that our denomination has inflicted on itself, and so many people who have been harmed by it. And you've had to live through and and participate deeply in a specific part of it. And now we are at a different moment, a weird moment in the life of the UMC that. We have covered in this podcast and we'll continue to cover. We're, we're about a year and a half, a little less actually, from the next general conference. What hope do you see for our church?
1: Oh, so you know, Derek, we talked about this at annual conference annual conference. It was an analogy that I used about the table um, and, and and you know, setting the table and being table seaters and stuff. I am so so uh hopeful because i see it i see it i see it happening um we are we are so close right we are so close uh and i i really do i think part of it has to do with um you know i, I hear people say it's generational i do think there's some element to that um i i think that uh i think the holy spirit's working. In amazing ways and, and hearts. I mean, the fact that if you look at our our delegation makeup and and where we are today as opposed to where we were in 2016, all that I, all of that gives me hope. But but the the greatest thing that I see is that if um, it was was it was kind of a story I told about my mom saying, you know, uh, in this family, you know, if you want dessert, you got to eat <laughs> you got to eat the veggies before you get there. It, it's that, it's that, that, that we've just, we've got to, to continue to lift our voices. And it's, it's in all things. And I, and, and I, I want to say that this is not, you're right. It's not just about inclusion around LBGTQ, although that's, that's, that's important at this moment. It, it's, it's creating truly what the beloved community of God is meant to be. and So we need to lift all the voices. What I will say is that the work doesn't end with whatever comes out of 2024 even even if the language is removed and stuff because i think there's a lot of work in helping people to understand what it means to be inclusive and and what that looks like and and how how do we uh make it make it to where the church is a safe place for all right for all and i, oh, yeah. and, I and i mean that um but i am i am more hopeful than ever and and, and I, it's that's you know uh, I've, I've told this story too. Uh, Willie Kitchens was a guy that sang with the first impressions uh, and I happened to be at a at an annual conference where I was speaking and um, just out of the blue he starts singing people get ready there's a train a coming and that's that's what I believe the train is coming. Mm-hmm. all you got to do is just get on board. don't need no ticket you know just just get on board and I I, that's, I, I don't mean that flippantly. But I, I just think we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work and for us to be present, uh, to be able to move on.
0: Alice, I cannot thank you enough for, oh, my gosh, just who you are. And again, the way that you bring your authentic self into these spaces, um, it is inspiring. Um, it's it's it, it is it is hope-filled um and it's just beautiful i'm so grateful for you your leadership and the yes that you always give to jesus when the door opens um so thank you for today this this has just been so so beautiful
1: Old, old Derek, I don't know what to say other than thank you. But right back at you, buddy. I mean, <laughs> same way. So I mean, I, 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 I'm learning from you. Uh, but so but thank you for for having. This was helpful for me too. I think it was a little bit cathartic. So thanks. Because I don't, thanks, I, I haven't talked about it much. So thanks.
0: Yeah. Oh. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Bar of the Conference is produced by the team at Wesley Survival, a ministry of Studio Wesley. Subscribe to this show on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or Google platforms so you don't miss a single episode.
1: Thanks for joining us, and see you next time.